Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Glory to God. Job chapter 33 from verse 14. Now this is so crucial. I want you to pay attention. This is going to change your life. It says, and I read, it says, For God speaketh once, yet twice, yet man may perceive it not. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men and slumberings upon the bed, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction, that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man, he keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Let's pray one more time. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we step even deeper into this teaching series on leading, thank you because we are instructed and you've trained our hearts in discernment that every single member of this church will walk in clarity as it pertains to your will, your plan, your timing for their lives. In the mighty name of Jesus. Say loud amen if you believe. Amen. Now this is such a powerful text, albeit not so popular. It says, for God speaks once or twice. So the problem is not God's willingness to speak. Some of you think God has never spoken to you before and you're wrong. So this is the problem. He says God speaks once, yet twice. Yet a man perceives it not. And someone is saying, Pastor, the first sermon in this series, you told us that every man can hear God. And emphatically, that's what I'm still saying. But I'm just saying, God speaks and you hear it, but many times you just don't know it's God. We don't perceive it. I've said time and again that one of the greatest barriers to discernment is preconceived notion. As it pertains to how God speaks. You just expect maybe all the time God's voice will be baritonic like Tomiwa's voice. Dear son or daughter. But many times it's not like that. Hallelujah. So we see in this text, first and foremost, that God speaks to people to give them insight into the future. That's so profound. He says... In the dream or in the vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men, he opens their ears and sealeth their instructions. He gives them instructions, instructions about the future. Look at what he says in verse 17. That he may withdraw men, withdraw men from his purpose. Because many times we are so set in our ways. We are sure that what we want to do is the right way. And because of that, that has blocked our receptiveness. And the Bible says God speaks to us to withdraw man from purpose. Because there are many ways that seems right to a man. But the Bible says the end there of our what? Destruction. The ways of death or destruction. So he's seeking to withdraw you from your purpose. I know you are bent on this. You, this is what you want to do. But that's not my will for your life. God does that. Say with me. Say that's my life. To withdraw man from his purpose. To hide pride from man. He keeps back his soul from the pit. When um, you're about to make a decision and it's going to end in a pit. The Bible says God is seeking to keep your soul back from the pit. The wrong ventures. The wrong relationships. The wrong investments. He's seeking to save your soul from the pit. And his life from perishing by the sword. Maybe the step you're about to take will end your life. And he says he keeps your soul from the sword. But here is the problem. Not the willingness of God. Or not that he even spoke only once. The Bible says once, yeah, twice. The real issue is Many times we don't perceive it. 
And that's what we're here to talk about. To eradicate every preconceived notion that blocks you. Can I tell you something? God is not Google Map. We have a way we think God speaks all the time. So maybe you just expect God. Many people, their picture of hearing from God is like this. God says, stand up. You know, and he's taking them on a journey. Now that's nice. So when it's time to turn left, to turn, or, or maybe they even have a biblical justification for it, which is not wrong. But many times puts God in a box as if that's the only way he speaks. You will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Right? So he says, go forward. And then you're going, oh, this is cool. I'm hearing God's voice. This is the right university. This is the right guy to marry. This is the right venture. <laughs> but many times, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Many of you are expecting a map, a template from God. So you want to know in two years, this is where I'll be. Then in three years, so I'm going to work in this company for this much, this long. Then I'm going to resign. They'll first promote me three times. Then I'll resign, start my own business. It will blossom. Then I will now step into ministry. By that time, I'll be married. I will have two kids. Then I'll retire at this age and then live happily ever after. You want a template like that. But guess what? Many times, what you call your desire for divine leading is a desire to steal your anxiety. Can I tell you something? Tomorrow must remain tomorrow. There are some uncertainties that come with the package and it's not a disadvantage. It's an opportunity to trust God every stop, step of the journey. So God will say to Abraham, go to a place that I will show you. Is that the name of a place? <laughs> so now, at every step, Abraham will have to create a new altar, keep the fellowship going so that he can get new instructions. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this is the real picture of hearing God's voice. It's like this, a blindfold. You know, so this is how it works. So now, God is leading you, maybe not even with a voice. Many of you, this is what is happening with your life right now. And you just don't know it. And then you arrive at a destination. Eventually, all right, and then at the end, it all makes sense. And God says, this is your wife. Mad. <laughs> but you get the picture. So many times you don't even know what God is doing. And it's almost like blind trust. And you just have to follow. And many times it will only make sense at the end. Praise the Lord. So if you keep expecting the voice of Google Map. Turn left, turn right. And, you know, we should be lucky that Google Map does not have an explicit vocabulary. In 100 meters, turn right. You turn right immediately. Not now, idiot. <laughs> have you ever imagined Google Map responding like that? But God's not going to speak that way. The title of this sermon, or the theme of this sermon, is Desire, Coincidences, and Giftings. There are three very popular but uncommon ways that God speaks. Newsflash, you will not always hear a voice. Like I said, during the midweek service, you think you're ready to hear a voice. Maybe you're not, you're not ready. I shared a story just in case you didn't hear it. By the way, if you're one of the people who miss midweek services, make sure you don't miss the one that is coming. I'm preaching on a title, Brave. That's the name of the sermon. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter. Even if an angel appears to you, without the element of bravery, you won't fulfill God's plan for your life. So let's talk about that midweek service. Don't miss it. You know, but I talked about the real-life experience I had the first time I heard God's audible voice. Red, red. I was in a room 
There was no light, normal Lego stuff. <laughs> and it was dark. This was in the night. And then all of a sudden, I'm not talking about a spiritual voice, still small voice, inner witness. You know, when someone calls your name and you turn, I turned. I could tell where the voice was coming from, but there was nobody there. So I turned. I heard the name only people that grew up with, with us call me. I heard that name. So I turned. I called my sister's voice and I said, stop playing games. Because, you know, we used to play those games in, as children. In the dark, you're calling someone to scare them. I said, stop that. For me to reply, you can tell how audible the voice was. I replied. Then I heard the voice again. It was like a whisper, but it was clear. I called the name of someone else who was staying with us. I said, stop playing games. When I heard it the third time, brethren, I ran. I mean, I ran physically. And I ran straight to my mom. It was years ago. I was still staying in the family house. And I said, ah, God just saved me. <laughs> True life story. I, she said, what happened? She said, something was calling me in that room. That room is very satanic. And she said, ah, praise God. Oh. <laughs> the interesting thing is, if God did not tell me that was him, I would still think God saved me till today. That the devil was trying to attack me and he saved me. I ran away. You know, so years later, I was reading this charismatic book, you know, on the floor in my room. And I was reading and the guy was sharing testimonies, all those grandiose experiences of hearing God's audible voice. And I said, God, I wanted to speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. You know, and those words that we use in prayer, like, when people are talking about hearing from God, as a man speaks to his friend. And he said, what of the day I called you three times and you were rebuking me? And immediately, you know, when God is speaking supernaturally, you're not thinking. He will bring the memory to your heart. So I saw it. I was so shocked. I said, that was you. I'm sorry, Sao. You know, in my mind, I was like, you said, there was light throughout the day, morning, afternoon. Now, nights where lights know they call me, but you know, respectfully, I can't say that. <laughs> so I was like, sorry, sir. You should be thankful that there are more intimate, strategic ways that God leads. Like I said on Wednesday, if you claim he is inside you, why are you hear, seeking to hear a voice from outside? You want him to step out from you and then talk in your ear? <laughs> if he's inside, there will be more personal pressings and nudges. So some people even think that the people who hear an audible voice are superior to those who have an inner witness. And it's not true. If you need an audible voice, chances are that it's because you are immature. When God was going to speak to Moses for the first time, because he didn't know God's voice, he had to, it, there had to be theatrics involved. He had to set a bush on fire to get Moses' attention. So it was not a spectacular encounter. It was God reaching out to someone who was spiritually ignorant. You have to understand that. But when you grow, there might be a blast of thunder, um, a quake and many spectacular encounters, but that's not the voice of God. It will be a still, small voice. But we're not even here to talk about all of that. We're going to talk about three unusual ways from a natural standpoint that God speaks. Desires, coincidences, and giftings. I want to start with coincidences. This is what I call the revelation of Jaira. The fact that there are some incidences in your life that appear to be incidences totally unplanned, totally random, that are yet part of God's grand scheme plan for your life. And at the end, the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle will make a beautiful picture. And voila, you're going to be like, oh, this is what God is, was doing all the while. Even though every step of the way, it didn't look like there was a plan at all. And there are myriads of examples. 
that even in what might appear to be incidences of contradictions, God was still involved. I'll tell you a story. In Genesis chapter 22 from verse 1, I'm going to be as fast as I can. The Bible says, now it came to pass, Genesis 22 from verse 1, after these things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, as if to just pain him more, for avoidance of doubt, not Ishmael. If it was Ishmael, no, I mean, you just wear your clothes. So where are we going? Shh. Fem. <laughs> you know, follow me. But he says, take your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Lead him to a mountain, a land of Moriah, and offer him as a burnt offering. Not now, so many questions come to mind when I read this. First of all, why would God do that? What kind of instruction is this? A man trusted in you for a child for two decades. Eventually, he gets one in his old age. About 100 years old, he gets one child. And then he has shared his testimony. You have changed his name. Abraham, father of nations. He was on his own. You promised him many children. And you told him specifically that that promise will be fulfilled in Isaac, Isaac in particular. Now you say, take him to a mountain and go and offer him as a sacrifice. What kind of instruction is that? And you have to understand why that was also confusing. God doesn't require sacrifices, blood sacrifices, let alone human sacrifices. I mean, the Bible is replete with instructions in this regard. I'm going to give you references as fast as possible. Just take them down. Deuteronomy 12, 31. Deuteronomy 18, 10. I'll take that again. Deuteronomy 12, 31. Deuteronomy 18, 10. Leviticus 18, 21. Let me read them as fast as I can. Deuteronomy 12, 31 says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. He's given a contradiction between the devotion in Christ and the devotion in the world. He's saying they worship that way. The people of the world, they worship this way. Don't worship like them. It says, for every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in fires to their gods. He's saying the people of the world, they worship their idols that way. I would never require that of you. So why is God asking Abraham to do this, supposedly? Same thing in Deuteronomy 18.10, Leviticus 18.21. You can read those references when you go home. The reason is simply this. He never intended for Isaac to be sacrificed. There is something in theology called typology where God uses symbolisms to prefigure his redemptive work. Are you getting what I'm saying? So by him telling Abraham to take his only begotten son and put him on a platform, as though to sacrifice him, he was showing to the world that he was going to take his son, the true lamb of God, and he was going to die for our sake and rise again. Because, listen, everybody saw Abraham going to that high mountain with his son. And when they saw all the sacrifice stuffs, many of them knew that Isaac was not coming back. But Isaac went and came back. And that was a symbol of the resurrection. Are you getting what I'm saying? I didn't make this up. The Bible taught on that. Look at um, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. And this also explains why Abraham would do it. Why would Abraham do it? I'm coming to that. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17 to 19. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, in fact, in Bible language, it was presented as if Abraham did it. He said he offered up Isaac. Are you with me? Offered up Isaac, whom he received, sorry, and he, and he who received the promises offered up his only begotten son. See that phrase, only begotten. That's supposed to strike, point your mind somewhere, right? 
of whom it was said, and Isaac shall your seed be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Now, this comes to the second question. Why would Abraham agree to do it? This is one of the most powerful teachings on faith, teachings on following God's plan for your life. You're about to hear. Pay attention. God told Abraham, in Isaac shall your seed be called. Through this single son, you're going to have many sons. They're going to be like the stars of the sky. And then, not too long after, God says, take that same son to a mountain and sacrifice him. And Abraham might have been wondering, why would God do that? And the Bible told us Abraham's conviction. Oh, glory to God. Listen, your conviction will always determine your conclusions. When you don't understand some instructions from the Lord, the conclusions that you wind up in or wind up with will be determined by your conviction. So this is Abraham's simple thought. If God said, by Isaac, I'm going to have many children, and now he's asking me to slaughter Isaac on a mountain, that means he plans to raise Isaac up. God didn't tell him that. He concluded. Because many people with wicked convictions will begin to say, God, you can't even keep your word. But Abraham cannot even wrap his mind around the possibility of God not keeping his word. If God said, in Isaac shall my seed be called, that means Isaac is going to be here. Isaac is going to have children. And so if the same God is saying, slaughter Isaac, that means he plans to raise him up. Oh boy. So look at that text. Take me back to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17. Quickly, quickly. It says, by faith, there is a faith aspect to following God's plan for your life. By faith, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac, and he that received the promises offered his only begotten son, verse 18, of whom it was said, in Isaac shall your seed be called, verse 19 now. It says, accounting. New World Translation said, concluding. This was his conclusion. So, God did not tell him this. He came to this conviction on his own. Accounting that God was able to raise him up. What a mindset of trust. And this is the important thing. God is not going to tell you that a lamb is waiting for you on the mountain. God is not going to tell you that. And this is the revelation of Jairah. That you follow God in a seemingly blind way to, prepare, to realize that he was in your future waiting for you. It's a perspective to life. It's a perspective to life. That I don't really understand what God is doing right now. But based on the information I have, I will take steps of faith and trust that because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever, He's the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. I would never step into tomorrow without finding him there. It's a perspective to have. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's the revelation of Jairah. He's the providential God. The God that can arrange the seeming unplanned events of my life that all of them will still point to where he would have me. Another simple example. Let me tell you something. This is one of the biggest concepts in the Bible. This is the ideology behind even the epicenter of the Christian faith. The death and the rise of Jesus. That the enemies of Christ thought that they were stopping him, not knowing that they were helping him fulfill his purpose. As it pertains to the leading of God, it's a perspective you must have. As long as I am aligned in my heart with the Lord, even what might appear to be the terrible circumstances can be God working in every situation for my good. Do you believe what I'm saying? It's very important. The same thing happened to Joseph. 
You saw a dream. You saw your brother's paying allegiance to you. But where did that lead you? Next thing you find yourself in a pit. They dropped you in the pits to die. Then they changed their mind. They decide, ah, I mean, we can kill two birds with a stone. We can get rid of him and still make money. So they sold him to slavery. And then it looks like, God, is this what you told me? You said, I'm going to be great. And many people who heard from God, like Joseph, who expect the next instruction to be, oh yeah, join a political party. Are you getting what I'm saying? Get involved in politics. Get to know what is happening in the nation. Look for a Godfather. Something straightforward like that. But how does God lead Joseph? To the pit? And then to Potiphar's house? And then to prison? And then from the prison to the palace? Who would have thought? How else would Joseph have met someone from the palace? Except in prison. How else? How else would someone from the palace have known that he had the gift of interpretation of dreams except if he interpreted his own dream in prison? Are you getting what I'm saying? But listen, it is sweet to tell the story now in retrospect. But you have to realize that the story will usually make sense only at the end. And so when you are a houseboy in Potiphar's house, it's not going to be nice. And when someone tells you as a houseboy in Potiphar's house that God's time is the best, you would think there would be motivational on you. Are you getting me? So it takes faith. And when you trust in the providence of God, every process that you find yourself in, you will make the best of it. Someone else might have been so bitter in Potiphar's house, so bitter in prison. God, is this what you said? Is this the plan you gave for me? Ah, all these visions. I don't even believe them again. Maybe even some people. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. This is the prophecy I received. Now I'm in prison. Guess what? Now you are in prison. You are so bitter. You won't make any friends with anyone else there because in your mind you are better than them. I'm talking about the mistakes many people make. You are better than them. God showed you you are supposed to be, I mean, you are supposed to be at the very top of the entire world. Everybody bowing to you. God showed you a vision of the sun. That was a picture of your life. The sun. As the sun excels above all the planets, that's you. And now you're here in prison. And people are trying to talk to you. Not knowing that that was your doorway to the fulfillment of prophecy. Are you getting what I'm saying? When you trust in God who can arrange circumstances in your favor, every step of the way, you will take it well. You will embrace the process. You embrace the process. You embrace the process. And there are people who might not look like it that are your doorway to your future. Can I tell you something? If you are one of the people who are quick to despise people, repent today. Because that guy who shares a prison cell with you might be in the palace tomorrow. Haven't you seen it in life? If you don't hear what I'm saying, you will see what I'm saying. person by your side may not look like it. But tomorrow, let me tell you something interesting. And I'm going to say this once because it's not something <laughs> I'm exactly excited about. One day, I asked my dad, you know, my, my actual full son and before, before I changed it, is actually Etukiren. Some of you who have followed me for years know. And Etukiren means small man. And so there are many people in my lineage that had a small visage, physically. We're not big people, so small man. 
And I hated it. What type of name is that? And then, you know, the brand of Christianity that I subscribe to believe that your name is a pointer to your destiny and all those kind of things. Like, what kind of things that? So now, maybe that's why my body is like this. <laughs> no matter what, it's, 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 you know. <laughs> I was even beefing my dad, Loki. I have a middle name, it's Anyefiok, which means who knows tomorrow. That's what I was told. I don't know the language. <laughs> and then Emmanuel, which many people believe to mean God with us. I've told you it's deeper than that, right? And then one day it hit me, and I'm just saying this because there's a lesson, general lesson. <laughs> My full name as a sentence means this. I might be a small man, but who knows tomorrow? Because God is with me. <laughs> and it's true. So, well, I just said that to say this. Do not despise anyone who is by your side. And let me, let me read this to you. Oh, praise God. I still have a lot to share with you. Let me move on. And if there's time, I will come back to that. Are you with me, someone? So don't hold grudges. If you believe in Jehovah Jireh, the providential God, you will understand that even the beef you are experiencing is part of the plan. If you were Joseph, you would thank your brothers for playing a part in you ending up in prison. Maybe you are petty because you don't believe that God controls the future. And then you're acting like an unbeliever, putting scannal hashtags, haters. Haters going to hate. Grow up already. It's part of the plan. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Let me talk about giftings and exposure. And this is a flow of thought from the first thing I mentioned. Look at Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. I cannot stress the faith dimension to this. Because it's easier said as a story than experienced. So ask yourself this objectively. You were sold into slavery, ended up in prison, Spent many years away from your dad who loved you. And now you're a prime minister. And then the very people who sold you to slavery literally depend on you to survive. They are in Egypt to meet you as the prime minister to beg for daily bread. What will be your next caption on Instagram? Be, on, be honest. What, what, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? <laughs> look, at, look at what Joseph said. Genesis chapter 45 from verse 5. It says, now therefore, be not grieved. Eh? 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 Be not grieved, care. You have to feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> so some of you, even if you want to forgive them, you will be seated, cross your leg, they will be crying, sorry, man, sorry, I don't know what happened. You say, see, just learn your lesson. Just learn. <laughs> you see this life? You see this life? You see this life? See, now, now as you're here, if I want to throw you, to the lion's end. Nobody can question me. Nobody, but I will not. You know, you will forgive them, but you will make sure they know. Oh, boy. He said, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves. He said, do not, do not be angry that you sold me. For God did send me before you to preserve life. I, God sent me ahead. 
You know, elsewhere in Genesis chapter 50, he said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. That's the revelation of Jairah. God meant it for good. Hallelujah. <laughs> what if there was a purpose to all the rejection that you have faced? Eh? Maybe you were rejected. Visa said you're not going anywhere. And eventually, this is where God will have you. Maybe, just maybe. I'm not saying for everybody. Oh. Feel free to reapply if you think this word is not for you. <laughs> you know. Because if I was not preaching, I maybe would not be here. But anyway, you get the message. <laughs> but think about it. There might be a purpose to it. And you only know at the end. Hallelujah. But as it pertains to gifts and exposure, what a perspective to have. God brought me here to be a blessing to others. That's what he said. He says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Many people, especially in this country, cannot wait to blow. They are walking around their room fantasizing how they will walk when they finally have their dream car. I've said it jokingly seriously that many people um, in big cars, they have eye problems. When they wind down to look at you, they're always squinting. Have you noticed? When people blow, they find it hard to remember people they knew before. Oh, do you know me from five years ago? Bro, open your eye. You served me. Why did you like this? Open your eye. It's me. <laughs> but what a perspective to have. That every privilege I have is for the blessing of others. God did not bless me this much because I am much better than others, but so that I can gift others. I am brought here for service. Listen, if you have this perspective, you will not miss out on God's leading. You will miss out on God's leading. If, you, if your drive for tomorrow is self-serving, you are more susceptible to error. But if you look at your gifts, your exposures, and like Esther, in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, you know what she was told? God brought you here for such a time as this. Such a time as this. It so happened that your people are in trouble and the queen is from that tribe. Esther, Use your voice. Use your influence. And so I'm saying this. I might not really know as a microphone what my purpose is or what my assignment is. Let's, let's be clear, all right? What my assignment is. But by observing, you know, the gifts that God has given me, I can have a fair idea. You cannot be something, eh? Raising a speaker like this at two years old, and you are wondering, I don't know what my purpose is, what my assignment is, what will I do with my life? You look stupid. That's what some of you are doing. Can't you see what God has given you? Get up and serve. Get up and serve. This is, I'm going to talk along this line next Sunday. Don't miss it. The sermon, is, the sermon title is When God is Silent. Let me tell you something. Some of you, God has not spoken to you because he does not need to. <laughs> You're just being irresponsible. You're like Samson. As a teenager, you're carrying the gate of the city up a hill. And you're wondering, what do I do with my life? What do you mean what do you do? Your people are being oppressed. You have this much strength. And you're asking, what do you do with your life? Many times, your gift is a pointer to your purpose. Maybe as a vehicle, you have four tires and an engine because you are meant to take people where they want to go. Sometimes it's that simple. You have all the privileges you had. Grew up in a great home, great parents. Many of the people that you look down on would have done better if they had your exposure if they had your exposure, if they grew up in your house, went to your schools, had the kind of warmth and parenting, you know, you know those hoodlums that you look down on, on the road, if they had your exposure, they would have done better. 
And so when you look at your gifts and your exposure as an opportunity, a privilege of service, you won't miss God. Praise the name of the Lord. And also this will, will just change that very religious, lazy attitude that many people have, expecting it to be miraculous all the way. Listen, your hands can do something. Get to work. I'll talk more on this next week. Get to work. I said in the first service, and I'm just going to touch on it briefly. A lot of people just think that all that happened in David's life was supernatural. And so this guy stood before Goliath with a catapult. You know that small one we used to use to play when we were young? Some of you rich kids are like, yeah, shut up. You don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, and he stood before a warrior with devastating weapons, and he just did pa, and an angel carried the stone like this, <laughs> and hit Goliath's head. Maybe you think that's what happened. But the simple question I have for you is this: What type of king will leave the faith of a nation in the hands of an unproven teenager? That's the question you should have, you should answer. And you gave him armor and he said, no, he wants to go with catapults. There is more to the story. Is that simple enough? And there is. And let me just share with you some simple insights. Let me read a text first and foremost. Look at Judges chapter 20. Judges chapter 20 verse 16. This is describing the army of Israel. And it says, among all these people, there were 700 chosen men left-handed. Every one of them could sling stones at an hair breadth and not miss. Did you see this? So the Israeli army of that day had a reputation for slinging. They were very good. So these were their snipers of those days. <laughs> and the accuracy. Now, if they could, now this is, of course, a bit of an exaggeration just to paint how good they were. Exaggeration does not mean lies. It's, it's, it's a tool in English many times. They can target your hair. <laughs> That's what it says. So if they can target your hair, what is the forehead of a giant? The target was too big. And no matter how good you are with the sword and with despair, if someone stays far away and does like this, <laughs> if he knows how to handle that thing, and you have to understand, this was not a weapon for catching cockroach. This was a weapon that they used at, in battles. Are you with me? So yes, of course, the supernatural was involved. When he got to Goliath, he didn't brag. But when he got to Saul, he bragged. I wish I had more time to talk about this. There are places where you talk about the grace of God. And there are places you talk about your qualification. If Saul says, how do you know you can defend Israel? You don't say, by the grace of God. It's an uncircumcised Philistine in the name of Jesus. Mm -mm, they won't allow you. You tell Saul, I killed a lion and a bear. Saul says, What? Lion and a bear. Saul says, go. When you meet Goliath, you don't mention lion and bear. You say, you come against me with sword and with spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of God. Do you understand the difference? So that's the balance between gifts and grace. You must recognize the balance. To say, yes, I'm trusting in supernatural leading, but everything that I can do now to get better with the exposure that I have, I'm going to take advantage of everything. Because God did not give me all this for nothing. To whom much is given, much is what? So God might not lead you with a voice. He might lead you with exposure and opportunity. He might lead you with coincidences. And he can work everything for your good. However, 
Oh boy, I wish I had time, time, time. Time flies when you're having fun. Pay attention to this so that it doesn't confuse you. When God has not categorically told you what to do, use your gifts and your opportunities to serve. When God has told you what to do, don't consider your gifts. It sounds like a contradiction, but pay attention. If God has not told you what to do, your gifts and your exposures should count for something. But when God tells you what to do, look away from your gifts. Trust his voice. Because can I tell you something? Many times the voice of God is a total contradiction to everything you think you are capable of. So God is looking for someone in Israel to talk to Pharaoh. And of all people, he chooses his Tamara. <laughs> are you with me? <laughs> How hilarious is that? And God tells Moses, you're going to be a prophet. You're going to speak for me. Ah, but, 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 Lord, do, 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 do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm not saying that mock. I'm just trying to say, what do you mean? As a stammerer, I'm supposed to speak for a living. <laughs> I'm going to spend the rest of my life speaking and declaring the counsel of God. So, as I have spoken about gifts, make sure it also is not a hindrance to what God has clearly told you to do. If God tells you, even if you feel you can't do it, you can. That's just what I'm saying. Praise the name of Jesus. I'm moving to the last point now. Time is fast spent, but we're going to trash it out as much as we can. And this last point is the one I'm most passionate about. I want to talk about desires. Many of you, what I'm about to say is how God is leading you right now. And I just want to open your eyes to it. Turn your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, I say thank you, Jesus. Now, you're going to read that text with passion like you believe it's the word of the Lord to you. Are you there? Well done. Whoever's on the projector, well done. Um, I'm praising you now. Now read this together. One, two, go. Now this is, this is, this is, this is a training on discernment. Because sometimes God can be doing a work in you, can be talking to you, and you don't know. So I like the fact that he says, it is God. Oh, it is God I did not know. It is God who walks in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. It is God. So, as a Christian, full of the Spirit, I can no longer ignore my passions. Ah, are you with me? Oh, that was God. I thought it was just mere passion. That was God. You stirred up that passion in me. It is God who walks in me both to will and to do his good pleasure. This is the main difference between the Old Testament and the New. In the Old Covenant, you were told, do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. But in the New Testament, he said, I will put my spirit in you and cause you. So there is an inner provocation. Can I tell you something? The leading of God is not always a voice. It's not always a vision. It's not always an inner witness or anything that you think. Many times it's a provocation from within. A stare. And if you keep looking for a voice, you will miss it. It's a stare. He walks in you to will. To will. When you just have a strong nudge to do something, to go somewhere, to say something, that just might be the Lord. It is God who walks in you to will and to do. Say amen if you believe. Amen. Let me give you an example. Many people, the idea of um, the leading of God is this. God wants David to be king. So God sends a prophet to David's house. And he calls David. He takes David to the palace. Is that what happened? 
Did the prophet take David to the palace? By the way, he looked nice. No, no dress past me. I'm watching. Oh, wow. This is how Lucifer started. Anyway, so. <laughs> anyway, you look nice. All right. Did, did the prophet take him to the palace and say, tell, tell Saul, stand up. Stand up. Uh-huh. You have, I, I'm not, I've changed my mind. I'm not choosing you again. Move. David, sit down. Is that, is that what happened? Is that what happened? What did the prophet do? The prophet anointed him and walked away. Isn't that what happened? How do you come, thank you very much, Pastor T. How do you come to make someone king and anoint him and walk away? How do you do that? Because the anointing will do the rest. If you look at David's political journey, you can have an explanation politically of how it happened. There was a political problem in the nation. And someone was brave enough to stand up. And he won the battle. And the people chose him. The people's choice. Democracy. (laughs) Saul has killed his thousands. David killed 10,000. That's what you think. But it all started the day oil came on his head. So what did the oil do? It fueled in him a passion. His brothers were in the army. They were soldiers in Israel. They had Goliath's assault every day. And they did nothing. David was just passing by accident just to deliver food that day. And he heard Goliath. He couldn't take it. He said, what? No, 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 no. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That was the anointing at work. Guess what? God did not tell David to face Goliath. Do you realize that? Oh. He didn't hear a voice from God say, This is your chance. This is your chance. This is my, this is my. <laughs> he didn't hear a voice. He didn't hear a voice. He got to the palace by a supernatural passion. He couldn't take it. Even his brothers were like, What are you doing here? That's the thing. When the anointing is at work, some people will think you are too forward. They say, Have you left the sheep at home to come here? He said, who is this uncircumcised field? He was interested. He said, what will be given to the person who will face this guy? He went to Saul. He said, I can face him. That was the anointing at work. Pay attention to the passion that God has given you. Every time you pray, you just can't take it. These things that people see around and they're okay with. You see children who should be in school carrying trays on their head, hawking on the road, and every time it irks you. Or it is the nation, the nation. Every time you're about the nation, you know, or interested in business or something. Where is it coming from? You know the difference between a normal passion and a spirit-led passion? When you pray, what happens? If it is a normal passion, when you pray, it will reduce or disappear. If it is a spirit-led passion, as you pray, it will get hotter. It will get hotter. The more you pray, the prophecies you receive, the, word, the nudges you get. Every time, it was like Jesus. The Bible says the zeal of the Lord's house consumed him. By his passion, you could know his assignments. Are you with me? So even Moses, before the burning bush experience, even before the burning bush experience, he couldn't take it when the Israelites were oppressed. He couldn't take it. He pounced on someone, although what he did was wrong, but listen, his passion was a prophecy of his destiny. Do you understand what I'm saying? He just couldn't take it. Of all people who should understand, this is someone who grew up in the palace. He should be siding the Egyptians, but he couldn't. He just couldn't take it. Pay attention to the supernatural passions that God has put in you. You might have thought you were just naturally passionate, but the Bible says it is God. Ah, Are you listening? It is God. Maybe I should stop there so it will sink in. It's God. That's God. That's not just you. That's God. Every time you wake up, every time you sleep, the same thing. It's God. You just have a passion for it. It's God. 
And maybe in the same avenue, ah, Braktasash. And maybe the strategy that God gives you is the same strategy everybody is using. When Moses said, how would they know that you sent me? What did God say? He said, what is in your hand? A rod. Drop it on the floor. He dropped it. It turned to a serpent. He picked it up. It turned back to a rod. He was feeling happy. Ah, God has spoken to me. I've got something. Then he went to the palace. He did it. You know, Pharaoh looked there. Is that it? He called all his magicians. All of you, come with your rod. All of them started coming one by one. Is that what you were doing? They were dropping it one after the other. All their rods turned to serpents too. But guess what? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you read the story? The Bible says, the rod of Moses swallowed the rods of the magicians. You may be doing it the same way, but your own will stand the test of time. Your results will be different. Even the magicians will observe and say, this is the hand of God. This is, this is, this is the finger of God. This is, this is extraordinary. This is extraordinary. Everybody is singing, you are singing too. But your own will be different. When you sing, fire will burn. Something will burn. Hallelujah! Come on! It is God. It is God. He is working in you both to will and to do. And a sign that what I'm saying is the Lord is, is this. From today, those passions will rise even hotter. Amen. And li listen, you see, in the world, if you have a motivation to do something, you have to also mo motivate yourself to execute, but not with God. He doesn't just walk in you to will. I... If God has asked you to do something, you are wondering, how do I start? How do I? Listen, when young ministers tell me, how do I start? I no longer answer them. If you don't know how to start, you are not meant to start. When it's time, the prophet said, like fire shot up in my bones. He said, I could not stay. Shut up. Shut up. Someone said, do I do business or do this? You still have options. It's not time. You still have options. When there is a hunger, eh, and every other thing, you lose satisfaction for it. You are Nehemiah. You have job security. You are working in the palace, but you are taking your cup, and the king says, something is wrong. What is bothering you? You now say, my people, the wall is destroyed. Someone has to build it. The king on his own will say, go. Your heart is not here. Are you getting what I'm saying? He walks in you to will, to do. Nehemiah was secure. He had no business with what was happening there. He didn't have a political ambition. It was just passion. He lost taste for everything else. Even at his workplace, people could tell something is wrong. The king, he didn't say, the, the king, what is happening, Nehemiah? You have not been yourself. That's what I'm talking about. And that's why you shouldn't just hear teachings like this and feel informed. Take this. Pray on it. Fast on it. Maybe the Lord put this sermon at this stage of your life because there are strategic steps that you must take. Go on a fast. Pray on it. You might have many things that are also on your mind. As you pray, all right, just like the purification process in fuel, all right, in refinery process, all the impurities will start to go. The ones that are just your mind will be disappearing. After a while, you'll be crystal clear. God's plan for your life. He walks in you. Come on. Oh, that's a prophetic word today. He walks in you to will and to do. Listen, your passion is rising. Your supernatural passion is rising. It's evidence to all. It can no longer be hidden. It says no one lights a candle and puts under a bushel. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Rise to your feet right now. I want to give you some time just to stir up yourself in other tongues.
If you put it in you, when you pray, it will rise to the surface. And as you pray, see the visions of God. He's going to so show you images, things to do, places to go. It is God that works in me. Both to will and to do His good pleasure. Pray in the Spirit right now. A supernatural passion. A supernatural passion that makes you in your old age to still say, give me that mountain. A supernatural passion. It has nothing to do with age or experience. It's the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Like fire shot in your bones. Kasatarabaya. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.